For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Let's start off with a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And now, let's get to the show. Okay, everybody, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. As always, I'm Matt. He's Larry. We have a playoff game to talk about for the first time in a couple of years, which actually feels pretty good. Uh, I know they didn't win it, but Larry, I left this game feeling reasonably optimistic about their chances to be at least competitive throughout this whole series. Like, I don't think we're going to get a 4-0 sweep with a bunch of blowouts. How, how did you feel watching game one? Well, I, I think it's the playoffs. You know, I, I think it's the playoffs. And obviously, yeah, you want to win every game you play. But that's not the reality of it. Uh, you're going to start a playoff series on the road. And forever and ever, it's been, you know, still one on the road, especially, you know, one of the first two. So I think that they're in a good position. I mean, the Sixers came out and handled their business. But, you know, they get a chance to come out, you know, on the Sixers home court and make some adjustments uh, and try to steal a game. And I think it's, it's there. Um, you know, it's there for them to steal a game with some – you know, limit some of the mental mistakes and, and things that were just gimmies and, you know, give yourself another fighting chance. We talked a lot about how both of us actually preferred the Brooklyn matchup, which I think we might have been in, in the minority of there. But, you know, Brooklyn will at least give you some chances and make some mistakes. Philly's a really solid team, but the flip side of that is they don't really have the firepower to like blow you out, you know, a, a bunch of games. Like it might happen one game, but uh, just just the nature of sort of their setup and, and team makeup and the way the Wizards play, I, I think it does allow them to stay, you know, keep these games kind of close and competitive throughout. Does, does that seem fair or reasonable? No, I think that's fair. I think, too, you have to look at, you know, the, the makeup of the Sixers also. And, you know, they, they play the position as basketball without, you know, a traditional you know point guard to start the lineup. Mm -hmm. And obviously that is, you know, you know, most teams are using their point guards to create pace. Uh, so it's an interesting dynamic of what they have with Ben Simmons and, and, and Joel that I really do think you give teams a, a fighting chance uh, once you start to mix those lineups up uh, throughout the course of the game. They ended up losing 125 to 118. Beal had 33 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. Westbrook had 16 points, 5 rebounds, 15 assists. So we didn't get our famous triple-double. Uh, it was a reasonable Bertans game, I think, at least offensively. 14 points, five rebounds, four of eight from the three-point line. They actually needed 
all of those. And there was a stretch in the first half where he hit two in a row and then immediately went to the bench. And it's not like he had been in for a substantial amount of time at that point. So I didn't really understand that decision to yank uh, him right there. But on the Sixers side, Tobias Harris, 37 points, six rebounds. The Wizards really didn't have an answer for him until late, where I think, honestly, he just missed a couple shots. Embiid, 30 points, six rebounds. Simmons, six points, 15 rebounds, 15 assists. And uh, Seth Curry, 15 points. And then, you know, a couple other guys had 10, 11, things like that. Any of those numbers that particularly worry you, Larry, from either team, whether it's, um, you know, low rebounds from Westbrook or too high points from Harris, like anything from that box score that, like, hey, we have to immediately try to correct or adjust to? Well, I think it's the the, the game plan you know, on which you're, you know, with Tobias and figuring out if, if that's going to be, you know, the guy that you're going to, you know, not necessarily allow to score, but not be too concerned if he puts up a bunch of points. Uh, he's a guy that kind of goes up and down, uh, obviously through the course of the season, and and that may uh, show its face during the course of the playoffs. But I think if you're trying to double MB to have the ball out of his hand, uh, you're going to play that small lineup, you're giving up, you know, things that are really close to the basket and Ben Simmons and Tobias, I think are really good, you know, three point line. And then they don't shoot a bunch of threes. Obviously Tobias can make the threes, but he's a big guy. Mm-hmm. And if he can get into the paint with limited contest, I think that that's going to be a problem for the wizards. Uh, but the game one, I'm not necessarily too concerned about his, his, his output as far as scoring output, but I would like to see obviously Russ be a little bit more efficient uh, on the offensive end, uh, turn the basketball over, but also scoring the ball. Yeah, he and Beal each had six turnovers, and and I think you can you can live with that in a game, but it was the when and where they happened, and I think almost every one of them seemed to lead directly to an easy Philly basket, and and that's you know if you go from six turnovers to four, or they just don't score on all of them. That, I mean, that's a totally different game at that point. Uh, yeah, and I think this is a team that's really you know, can, you know, put some focus on the defensive end mm-hmm. at Philadelphia with sure. the pieces that they have. So they can make it tough for you to maneuver and tough for you to get into the things that you want to run. Uh, but obviously you still have to be smart. That's going to limit your possessions and you can't go as fast uh, because they are a good defensive team. I think that that's what you have to do as opposed to trying to not necessarily, you don't want to, you want to impose your will obviously on, on any team that you play, but you have to understand uh, what their strengths are, and then work within you know what they do. Uh, before the game, Scott Brooks said, "We don't want to play fast. We want to play faster, and then faster than fast." And and to me, just to, to your point right there, that's sort of a mistake. Like I, I think they almost sort of bait you into that, and they've got so many athletes that you know it just makes it tough to to do that efficiently and effectively, especially when. You know, this works to our advantage sometimes, but both Beal and Westbrook get tunnel vision when they attack the attack the hoop sometimes. And if you're not going to have three point shooters out them out there with them to create space and, you know, those guys aren't giving it up, that just makes things easier on Philly, in my opinion. Yeah, man, I, I heard that comment and wasn't sure, like if that was like a joking comment or like obviously faster than fast. I mean, that's that's pretty damn fast. But you have to be strategic in what you're doing. I mean, it's it, you're, you're planning for a long series. So, yes, you want to move fast. Yes, you want to be active. But, again, you still have to prepare yourself, you know, for a long journey. So 
you can't play fast the entire game. You can't play fast the entire season. So I think, again, there's strategy that comes into play uh, when you have certain lineups on the court, when they make substitutions, you may want to play faster. Uh, so there's a lot of strategy that goes into I, I don't just telling me to go play fast. I don't I don't like that. I mean, I don't like that at all. Yeah. Or, or certain units that are out there. Hey, you know, maybe we don't have the shooting, so we want you to try to run on everything or this is our great defensive rebounding group. So get the board and push it like. Yeah, just just universally give everybody the the green light to to start a track meet. Uh, it seems counterproductive. But Larry, when you were playing, did, was it in your opinion easier? Or maybe it depends on the team or the situation. I, I don't know. But is it easier to take game one on the road or game two? Like I imagine game one, you know, maybe you can catch them with some things uh, that they're not prepared for. You know, in terms of game plan. But game two, you've also felt them out. So I, I could see maybe the advantages to both. I guess. Well, I think it's there's advantages to both completely. Uh, it's it's always been tough to beat a team two times in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no matter what, if it's the first game or the second, you know, of that tandem. But I, I think that it it's a when the season is different, and sometimes you have you're coming into the, the playoffs, and you know, most times it it happens you know in the second round, but it it happens in the first round where a team is on a break mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe, you know, you've played a, a couple games or had to play some meaningful games, uh, you know, towards the end of the season and the team that you're playing against, they may not have. So it may be a little bit of rust or just a, maybe a little, little bit of complacency in that first game when, you know, circumstances, you know, match up. And that's when that team has been off, like that home team has kind of been off a little bit. That road team is coming in. They had a, a, a pressure game or, you know, a game that they had to win, a must-win game. So they're in some sort of a rhythm. So when you get into that game one, you know, that team is pretty much still feeding off of that rhythm while the other team that was sitting kind of has to, to ramp it up. Obviously, they know what's in stake, but they have to ramp it up. So I, I think it, it it varies just on the situation of, of where the teams are. Uh, but again, once you lose that first game, it gives you that motivation to come back and make those adjustments, uh, knowing that you're going home as well. That gives you a little bit of boost uh, to win that second game. So it could go either way. I know it was a road game, but it was cool to see fans like, you know, there and Embiid kind of got the crowd riled up a couple of times. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't like this for us, but it just it felt a little more normal. So so that was definitely uh, a positive. I just want to read you a couple post-game quotes here so basically Scott Brooks was asked what the difference was in that third quarter when they made that initial run and he said we made some costly mistakes and this team is a veteran loaded team they capitalize on those mistakes okay totally fair I think we just said the same thing you know it, it, it makes sense but then he followed up by saying a big portion of our guys are in the playoffs for the first time okay well Rui is Gafford is uh, maybe there's somebody I'm missing from last night's group, but I think that's kind of it of guys that are Len, sorry, Len, but he only played 12 minutes. Um, you know, it just, I, I don't look at this wizards team and the guys they are going to be playing in meaningful minutes and say like, this is an inexperienced group. So I don't really buy that as an excuse. Uh, do you put any stock in, in that being what cost them last night? No, I, I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I agree with you on that one. I mean, you know, the Wizards have gone through a, a tough stretch the last couple of years. Sure. But other than that, I mean, they've been fighting for a playoff spot. They've been in the playoffs. They've won, you know, they've won around, you know, in the playoffs. 
Um, so, yes, you have guys that are inexperienced as far as, uh, you know, just in their their years of, of basketball. And obviously they haven't been to as many playoff series and, and, and their interactions as, as, as coach has. But these guys know what playoff basketball is about. They know what the Sixers are about. They played against Embiid and Ben Simmons for a number of years now. So I don't necessarily buy that they are are inexperienced in the playoff setting. I just think that they have to be put into positions to be successful. And each game is going to be different. And I don't think you you don't make a drastic comment after each game. I mean, it, it, it you hate to say that it is what it is, but in situations where you go out and you battle, it is what it is because now you have to make your adjustments. So even though that those guys may, may not have been in the playoffs last year or the year before, they've still been playing basketball in the NBA. So it's just about making the adjustments and, and trying to get a, trying to get a win. And it's a totally different situation. Like, but the bubble last year, you know, like it's weird circumstances, but, but that's a, that's a stressful situation for a young guy like Rui or something like, like it's, it's not like these guys haven't played moments of meaningful, significant basketball where there's pressure on them. And, and even the play in games, like that's, that's your sort of first trial by fire. You know, if, if he just said, Hey, Rui threw the ball away twice late, you know, maybe the situation got to him like, okay, you know, I, I could live with that, but you talk about costly mistakes. And then you say, you blame it on an experience when, you had Russ and Beal turn the ball over four times in four possessions in the fourth quarter that that really allowed Philly to get that late lead and and keep it. So it just I don't like I don't know who's fooling. You know, it's like not like we didn't just watch that game, but it, it just that that one kind of irked me a little bit. Yeah, no, you gotta you gotta hype those guys up, man. That that the experience is is so great that they don't want to uh, lose this chance to you know, to help their team or for them to, you know, start to establish themselves to be great. So you got to spin that message. It's not the pressures of the playoffs or, you know, the uncharted waters of the playoffs. I think that there's messaging that makes these guys want to go out and fight and, and and try to get a win. And they've done that. I mean, you know, they're ending, they're, they're run, they're in stretch of, of, you know, to the end of the season. I mean, that's, that's playoff basketball right there. I mean, that's a, that's a playoff push. Uh, to close out the season and then to go into the playoffs. Like you said, these guys have some experience definitely uh, in the capsule of this season. Blair, was your first playoff run in Washington? No, my, my first Philly? playoff run was actually in Philadelphia. Your rookie year? Uh, yeah, so it was a lockout year uh, playing Orlando in the first round uh, and then not sniffing the playoffs for about four years after that. Uh, so, yeah. Was that Shaq Orlando still? No, no, that was Penny Hardaway. That was um, uh, Anderson, Nick Anderson. Gotcha. Uh, that was that group. Gotcha. Yeah, Daryl Armstrong. You know, that was that was that high energy group in in Orlando. Penny Hardaway. Those guys. Uh, d- did you have to guard Penny at all during that series? Oh yeah. That's oh a, yeah. That was uh, that's that a was tough my rookie matchup. matchup. Yeah, that was that was my matchup. But that was I grew up with comparisons. I mean, being from St. Louis and Penny, you know, being in Memphis and mm-hmm. You know, so I grew up with those comparisons growing up. So that was like, that was like the best thing to happen to me, obviously, to get a chance to compete against Penny and, and knowing that you've been compared or talked about in the same sort of body type as, as a Penny Hardaway to get a chance to face him in the first round of playoffs as a rookie was was great. Uh, that's, that's definitely pretty cool. Anything that worked for you to help sort of 
not be overcome by that moment that that somebody like Rui could take and, and benefit from? Yeah, I think it's, it's using, you know, kind of what Scott Brooks said is obviously you want to play fast. You want to use it as your strength. But I think playing hard and playing smart. And I, I try to use that as much as I could. I try to rely on that as much as I could uh, through all the battles I had against everyone, you know, whether it be individual or team, just play hard and, and, and play smart. And, you know, whatever happens at the end of that, I mean, I, I'll live with that. But you're never going to catch me out there, you know, not playing hard, letting somebody get an inch, especially in the playoffs. I mean, that's when you have to stand on and take everything you have to get those wins. You know, national TV audience watching you, too. Like, there's probably a good amount of the you know, NBA fan base that has not seen Rui Hachimura play before. I mean, the Wizards have had maybe five national TV games in his two years. Like, you know, that's your chance to sort of make a name and make a mark. It's also really a really good segue here because the next thing I had just sort of on our rundown for you was Grant Hill said at some point in the fourth quarter last night that he thought the difference was that the 76ers were outworking the Wizards. I don't know that I agreed with that. Like uh, maybe on a play or two here or there, like there was one where Russ turned the ball over and literally just stood at half court with his, you know, hands on his hips. But I thought for the most part, the Sixers won because they, they played smarter, not harder. And, you know, they made those adjustments in the second half. They valued the basketball. They didn't give up transition baskets while complaining, you know, multiple, multiple possessions in a row. Did you see effort as an issue last night? Not, not at all. Not at all. I thought those guys played hard. I thought they, you know, they tried to compete. I think you do have a size advantage, obviously, with Philadelphia uh, through multiple positions. And then those guys aren't caring about, um, you know, who's a point guard, who's a two guard. They're just they're putting players out there on the court uh, that are aggressive, that are physical, that are attacking the rim, that also like to play defense. You got to remember, they also have two guys on that team that want the defensive player of the year award. Mm -hmm. And I think that those guys will be on an all defensive team. So that's where they are hanging their hat. I mean, they want to score, they want to win basketball games, but these guys are talking about defense. So I think that the Wizards stepped up and competed, you know, the the more force that they gave, the more pushback that the Wizards gave uh, just about playing smarter, like you said, and not making those costly mistakes and turning the basketball over. But I, I wouldn't say it was an energy deal or it was an effort deal. Um, I think it was just a matter of, you know, a couple plays is a fine line between winning and losing and a couple plays here or there uh, gives the Philadelphia the advantage. And it was just hard for the Wizards to gain that advantage back. And Philly's a team that uses their defense to to lead them into good offense. Like you've got a, a half a half their roster are guys that can't create for themselves realistically. And and, you know, Danny Green is waiting for an open three when a play breaks down. Uh, Matisse Thibel is not, you know, creating anything off the dribble. Even Seth Curry really isn't, you know, doing a whole lot by himself. Like he can do more than those guys, I think, but he, he would still rather catch and shoot an open three. Uh, so I think that's even more important to to be disciplined and 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 be smart and, and not give them anything free. And now all of a sudden you've got to let Tobias Harris dribble the, you know, dribble the air out of the ball to try to create something for himself with a set defense. I, I think that's to the Wizards advantage. Yeah, I think you, you'll figure that out, you know, the first couple of games of the series on what that what that point threshold is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, where do you need to keep these guys in that range in order for you to win a basketball game? And that's what you have to figure out. I mean, and it's a it's a long series, man. Like you want to win game one and you want all the the you know the hype from from winning game one, 
But the reality is you have to win four basketball games and and you get seven games to do that. So it, it's going to be a long series. And, and I hope. Yeah, that, that would be nice. Uh, so Beal agreed with us. He said our turnovers really kicked our butt. That was the difference. I had what six of them. We're not going to win any games like that. So, you know, hopefully that's lesson learned to those guys. Hey, we're playing against a lot of length. We, we've got to be a little tougher with the ball. And they have like the Sixers have not been able to guard Beal specifically this season. In the three games against them, he averaged 37 points, shot 56 percent from the from the field overall, and 55 percent from the three point line against Philly. Obviously, scored 60 against them one game, and he had 30 last night. But last night it seemed to come at the expense of like the flow on offense. A lot of his scoring possessions were Russ passed it to him, and he took Thibel off the dribble. Not saying that that's a bad thing, but I'd almost like to see like the old school high school, like you need four passes before somebody shoots kind of deal. Like just the the two of them combining for 60 every night, isn't going to be enough for the wizards to win, to win that series. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's where I struggle is, is that fact of you have to get everybody involved and the way the wizards I feel play sometimes is they want to outscore you, right? They want to duel with you. They want, to allow this guy to score or or the other guy to score, which would be, you know, Brad or Russ, and obviously mix in a few three-pointers, you know, here and there. But I think that that's not the the great recipe for playoff basketball because, again, you get a chance to bog down. Uh, Games are going to come a little bit faster here after the first couple games. And I think you have to move the basketball. You have to move bodies. You have to make a good defensive team get into some rotations. You have to make a good defensive team, get into the penalty early. Uh, and you only do that with with body you know, and ball movement. You don't get that with just driving to the basket. You're going to draw some fouls, uh, obviously, but when you're able to cut and move and back screen and do things of that nature uh, in an aggressive way, I think it just opens up your ability, your options. It opens up your option on how you can play basketball and who's going to uh, be the threat you know, at each possession. I mean, coming down the court, I mean, Yes, Brad is scoring, and yes, Philadelphia knows that he's the ultimate threat. And some of that stuff is that Philly just may understand that these guys won't be able to score enough points to beat them on a consistent basis of four games out of seven. So I think that you're right, Matt, just having some some player movement, uh, some ball movement, uh, some playing on the second side, you know, all of these things that you would want to get, you know, to try to get uh, the other team in rotation. I think the Wizards should try to do that. And this is like middle school basketball coaching, but it's always the, you know, the the ball moves faster than a person can move. And now a defense is a little behind. You've caught them off guard. Now what do they have to do? They have to foul you. Like it's, I don't know. It just seems like straightforward stuff, but we haven't seen much of it all season. And uh, there's some advanced metrics or whatever that say the Wizards are really good offensively and Scott Brooks is really creative. And I don't know. I just, I haven't really felt that watching that this year. I'm actually okay with them sort of taking the older school approach of we're going to beat you in the paint. You know, we're not going to shoot a ton of threes. This particular series though, like the wizards went eight of 20 last night. It's a pretty good percentage. 40%. You you like your chances, but I'd actually rather them shoot more threes in this series at a lower percentage because at least makes Philly think they're going to do it. It's just too tough to ask two six foot four guys in, in Brad and Westbrook to have to shoot over that much length that many times. Like at least if you think, Hey, Berton's is going to get up 15 threes tonight. 
Matthews is going to shoot some threes. Nettos is going to shoot some threes. Like Hatchamore going two for two last night is actually a bad thing for the Wizards, in my opinion. Like he he turned up like or he turned down like two or three like wide open looks to dribble it twice and do a dribble handoff with Westbrook. It's like shoot that confidently. If you miss it, so be it. But at least they have to respect it. Yeah, that, that's that's the messaging that that has to come from your team. If you're open, shoot the basketball. But at the same time, you want to make sure that you have motion and you have, mm-hmm. like you said, you're playing on the second side. If that's a, a you know catch and shoot on the first side and you have to understand how the game is running. Right. If we went on a run and we get a catch and shoot on the first side and that's probably, you know, that's a good shot. Uh, if we're struggling, we turn the ball over a couple of times and we get that ball on the first, uh, that first kick pass, it may not be a good shot. We may need to move it and get it on the second side. So I think that just those strategies that go along within the, you know, the game are very important, uh, especially for these guys, like you, like we said earlier, out of just getting their, you know, their first glimpse of high level uh, playoff basketball is to introduce like game management. And that's where I think the, the Wizards struggle as well is just game management, like, mm-hmm taking bad shots and making bad passes and doing things that are ill-advised, you know, it takes away from your, your game management. And if they get, get better game management, I think they give themselves a better chance, but it has to come from, from Russ and, and, and Brad, you know, leading that, that understanding. Like if you can keep these guys in the 105 number, yeah. like, you know, I'd say do that as opposed to letting them get into the 115, 120, 130 mark. Yeah, make it ugly. Make them try to have to score against a set defense, especially in a game where you get Embiid in foul trouble and he's not there to just like try to obliterate you in, in the post. Like, okay, you know, if you can stop Harris, who else really is creating a lot of looks? It's like, is Ben Simmons beating you uh, off the dribble and taking, you know, a, a pull up 15 footer? Like, yeah, maybe, but I think you can live with that. Uh, so it's, I don't know. I really hope that we see these things sort of play out a little differently. I did think Ish did a reasonable job last night a couple times of like pulling the ball out. All right, let's reset everything. Let's take a minute. But before the game, Scott Brooks got asked about how their three guard lineup of Westbrook, Neto and Beal would match up with the 76er size. And he said, it's not how big you are. It's how your heart ticks. I appreciate a good cliche, but I threw my phone across the room when I heard that in real time because it just doesn't mean anything. And maybe you've got some great strategy that you just don't want to tell us about, but that's bullshit. I mean, let's let's be upfront about it. Yeah, we yeah. I mean, we we're we're past those YMCA days, man. I mean, <laughs> we we gotta be past those YMCA days. No, that factors in. Like them paint playing positionless basketball and having Ben Simmons basically rebound and push the ball. And what he's doing is he's turning his back on either Russ, he's turning his back on either Brad, or he's turning his back on Neto, and they don't have a chance. And he's a guy that can't shoot the basketball, but you don't have enough length in front of him mm-hmm. to stop him from turning his back and just taking a couple back down dribbles and really pretty much getting whatever he wants because now you're going to have to double whether you come with help from the baseline and you leave him beat a little bit or, you know, you have those guys that can shoot the ball, Tobias or, you know, or, or Danny Green. So I want to say that I don't agree with with the fact that to have heart is going to get you over the hump. I think it factors in, sure. but you have to have the physical abilities. Yeah, you, know, you have to have the stature to to match up with that sort of sort of thought process every possession. Some possessions you can win a 50-50 ball no matter what size you are. That is about heart and, and tenacity. 
but there's not many 50-50 balls. I mean, six 50-50 balls a game. Right. So we're, we're not, that's not going to play a part into, you know, the overall scheme of, of how you need to win that game. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, so just looking at the minutes everybody played last night, Russ played 42, Brad played 40, Rui played 36. And to be honest, I didn't love most of Rui's first half minutes. He did a split 18-18 first half, second half. Len, I thought, was reasonably good in the first half. Like, he had a couple moments where he he got exposed a little bit, but he played 16 minutes, 12 of them were in the first half. Uh, Neto played 21, Ish played 21. Bertans played 27, with the majority of those coming in the second half. Gafford played 20. Lopez played 11, and I didn't think he was particularly effective. And then Matthews, Hutchison, uh, Bonga, and Gill didn't play at all. And and I personally think that's a big mistake. Like you can go back to your three guard lineup against almost any other team in the East, but like, this is the biggest team other than maybe the Lakers, they might be the biggest team in the NBA. It doesn't make sense to, to go small against them. You know, unless you have like the personnel to really do that and get away with it. Like if you're the Warriors matching up with them or something and Draymond can, can do that. Okay, fine. But you know, almost every fan question we got here, Larry was, how do you stop some, you know, some variation of how do you stop Harris? Is Neto the guy to do it? You know, like is if Rui's the only wing out there, like don't you have to get one of these other small forwards some minutes at some point in the series? You you, you do. I mean, you do. You have to get, you know, those guys in, in, in the game. You have to use their length uh, because that's what Philadelphia is doing. I mean, they'll play Thibault knowing that he's not an offensive player just yet, but he's going to disrupt some things. He's not, you know, the smartest player yet but he is getting there he's understanding what his skill set is uh but he's a guy that comes to mind when we think about bonga uh gill and all of these guys i mean same sort of you know skill set same sort of um, ability to help their team in that defensive way and i think that ish and netto those guys have been playing great mm-hmm. i mean those guys have been playing really good basketball but again it's the word that we've talked about all year strategy mm-hmm. like what is our strategy to combat what they do and I don't think the small three are better than the guys with length. I mean, if it was, if, if they were really, I mean, if they were all-stars, then you would have a, you know, you would have a beef there. But I think that just with with the, the, the length that those guys present and your ability to have other guys on the bench that could maybe stop you from getting into you know, one or two rotations. I mean, those things factor really, I mean, those things play huge factors in games, man. Just one or two possessions. Uh, so I would say, yeah, questions of having those three guys out on the court at the same time uh, playing extended minutes. And then they're not really playing extended minutes. I mean, <laughs> they're all like 20, 21, mm-hmm. 11, 12. Like, I don't know many guys that can be productive, um, you know, playing that sort of time commitment as far as, it went, you know, with their minutes. That's that's tough. If you're going to rely on Beal and Westbrook to be the majority of your offense anyway, does it really matter if you have Neto out there? I mean, actually, Neto's probably been their best perimeter defender this year, which is, no disrespect to him, is a little bit sad. But, you know, it's not like Philly's going to blow the doors off of you if you now replace Neto with Gill. I mean, it's just, he's bigger. He can still spot up. Like, I'll agree with Scott Brooks on about one thing this year. Where he said he thought, you know, Gill was trash early in the year. I kind of agreed with him, but he's been competent. Like he's shown you that he's going to not, he's not going to beat you by doing dumb things. And 
And that might be enough in a series like this. You, you, you can't tell me he can't give you a few good minutes on, on Simmons even, or, or Harris, or even Danny Green. Like, just give them a little physicality back. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. You're right. I mean, the game is a perimeter game, and, and, but you still need size when you talk about getting into the paint to rebound and stop guys from driving into the paint. So if, if nothing else, having the ability to put a bigger guy in the paint to help rebound and to help uh, keep those guys out of the lane is, is a positive. All right, let's hit a couple of these uh, fan questions. Again, we, we've touched on some of them already, so we can sort of quickly recap so we've answered them all. Uh, so Jonathan King asked, would a lineup of Len at center and Gafford at power forward work to contain Embiid with a forced double team every time he catches the ball down low? Or should we rely on more of a small ball approach that emphasizes spacing? Does it seem that our three-point approach is over, overly reliant on Bertans? And should Scott Brooks give Matthews more playing time and drop some three-point plays for other players? So the first one of those, if it were me, Larry, I would not advocate for Gafford and Len together on the court at any point in time. Am, am I crazy there? No, and, and I think that you have to have, again, it, it's about strategy, man. Like these, line, these lineups can play together if there's a strategy for that. Mm -hmm. I think when you're talking about double teaming, yes, then you want to put size on size. I mean, to double MB with, you know, with the Neto or with the, I mean, or with the you know, Westbrook, I mean, it's not going to factor into what he's actually doing. So I think if you're going into that portion of the game where that's a strategy, I think, yes, you can play Lynn and Gafford at the same time. Because if you think about the minutes that they're playing in that 11, 12, it's going to be a few possessions, sure. um, you know, that could factor into the game. I mean, it could be a four-point game and those guys are out and you limit, you know, you stop them from scoring. I think that that's where you factor in your different lineups when you talk about what strategy you're going to employ. If your strategy is not to double team, then you're not, you don't need two bigs to go and double um, uh, MB. Then you want to have Lint on your rotations out of that because – these guys are good and they know what they want to get to. As good as Embiid is, I feel like that just creates a lot more mismatches for you other places, unless you really think Gafford can can run around and chase Harris or somebody on the perimeter a little bit more, or he can stay in front of Simmons. So I'm with you for like a couple minutes here or there, you know, just to give them some different looks, make Embiid have like, uh, you know, adjust to that. But I wouldn't be playing them each their 20 minutes all at the same time or, or something like that. Yeah. All right. So Fitz Cantrell, or sorry, second part of that is, uh, I think we talked a lot about we should be trying to get more uh, more looks for other guys. And, and actually, I think this would be a good series to play somebody like Matthews. I think he could stay with Danny Green defensively and not be picked on too much or stay with a Seth Curry as well as just about anybody else did last night. So I think that makes sense to get some other guys involved. Fitzcantrell asked, what is the best defensive approach approach for the Wizards to minimize Harris, Joel, and the 76ers three-point shooters? Also, do Scott Brooks's rotations make sense with three guards, but little, you know, little to no wings? So we talked a good about amount about this, but so I'll, I'll sort of tweak it slightly differently here, Larry. Would you continue to double team and bead the way they did last night? I, I know you just said like you wouldn't throw a small point guard at him, but is double teaming him at least some of the time the right approach or, or would you say let's let him beat beat us and we'll lock down everyone else? No, I'm, I'm going to double team and be just to break rhythm. Uh, he's not, he's not a passer. He's not going to find a guy 
you know, deep corner from the opposite box, you know, after you come down for a double team. I mean, he can do that, but that's not a strength of his. He's not necessarily looking for a cutter that's going to dive through uh, once you double team. So, yes, I would. I would mix it up. I wouldn't let him get too comfortable with any sort of matchup. And what I would do is, you know, encourage him to set that high screen and roll where he's not rolling and he's Mm -hmm. popping. And now I'm encouraging him to shoot that three-pointer. I'm not even closing out, even if he hits three (laughs) of them. I'm going to make sure that he's going to fall in love with shooting that shot. And I'm going to, I hope that he makes his first two. Yeah. Um, so it's just that, I mean, when you have those rotations and have Embiid out on the top of the court, then you don't want to leave a Danny green. You don't want to, you know, rotate or slide off of a Tobias Harris because Embiid is at the top with the basketball. So these are the things that I would like, I will let him get in those positions where I know that he's least effective. And then I will let him play ball. And then the spots where he's just super effective and super efficient, I would mix up that coverage and run a double team or throw a body in there to to foul a couple of times. I mean, you just got to mix it up with him. Uh, and that's where your defensive strategy comes in. These, guys, these teams are still going to shoot threes. You don't necessarily want to make a defensive matchup with the thought process of what it's going to give you on the other end, right? Mm-hmm. If this guy's going to help you on the defensive end, you can't be so landlocked or so concerned that this player is not going to make quote unquote, the open three. Again, we talked about this before you have him out there for a sole reason and that's to play defense and you have offensive players that's going to take the bulk of that, allow that defensive player to do what they're supposed to do. And that comes into play with those small force that were just sitting on the bench. Well, I mean, Gil and Hutchison both as wizards have been mid thirties, three point shooters. It's not like they've like, Hutchison's been way worse than that for his career, but on one and a half attempts a game, he's made 35% of them. That's, that's, that's respectable enough to, you know, that it's not really a drop off from ish or, you know, one of those guys. Yeah. A player like that too, is either going to, they're either going to get the grenade ball or they're going to be left wide open. Yeah. So we don't, you know, obviously you look at the percentages for, for a guy like that, but they're not running plays to get that guy an open look at the basket. So if he can help you on one end, you gotta you gotta roll with him. Yeah, I, I totally agree there. Charles Stewart asked largely the same question: What defensive looks would you give the Sixers? Essentially, is there any other thing that you would do that we haven't talked about so far, Larry, to to make things tougher on them defensively? No, that's it. I, I think that you have to you know watch the film and, and see where these guys are comfortable, and then that's where your strategy comes into play is to make them uncomfortable and in, in the in their best spots, and then obviously. Uh, you know, making him be as much of a passer as possible. But I think, again, if you're going to do that, then you have to present some length. When you talk about length and you talk about guards, I mean, in this day and age of rotations and, and switching, I mean, length is going to help you an awful lot uh, as opposed to the smaller guards. I think if I was paying attention, I saw some zone last night, especially while Bertans was out there. I haven't looked to see how effective they were in those minutes, but is that something you would keep doing again, just to kind of give them different looks and and make them sort of adjust to things? Well, yeah, I think with the zones that, that most teams play, I think it's usually, you know, the offensive guys are so good that it's usually one screen and then they, they have to come out of the zone. Yeah. So I think, you know, when you have a center fielder, when you talk about playing the zone and you have a coverage that you want to, you know, you want to keep a guy out of the lane, then you, you know, who, 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 who's ever that best defender is, you sit them in the middle of that zone 
Mm-hmm. And now your initial thrust to the basket, they can kind of, you know, stop that from happening. I think that that's when the zone is most effective, uh, when that that person in the middle can stop that guy from coming down uh, downhill. Have a lift and asked mostly the same thing uh, about would we play more small forward? So I think we're we're totally on that train with everybody. NBA tweets NBA also asked uh, who the Wizards need to step up defensively or offensively to match up with the star power on the Philly side and said, I personally think Bertans need to step it up and on defense and guard Tobias Harris. I would very much not do that. If, if that were me, I would hide him on Thibault or green or, or even Seth Curry. I mean, it's not like Seth is a speed demon, like make him shoot over length. That, that would be my, my take is don't let Bertans have the tough matchup. Yeah. Yeah. We, we do realize that Bertans, that's the reason why they're starting the three guards is because <laughs> Bertans in his defense. I mean, he's, he would have a hard time uh, with Tobias, or he would definitely would have a hard time with Simmons. Uh, and again, these guys are playing this positionless basketball now with Roland being out, you know, basically as the the point forward. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that Bertans is a guy that that when we talk about you know rolling into you know next season and things that he needs to get better at to to help his team out. I think that that's going to be one of those things where he has to figure out how to play better position basket, you know, position defense uh, on the defensive end. Without just immediately grabbing the person as they go by you. Uh, just sort of pivoting away from, from this game and, and setting them up for, for this series, I, I want to sort of backtrack a little bit here with you. Scott Brooks mentioned at, at the end of the play-in round that Russell Westbrook pulled the team aside and gave them an impassioned speech and this was months ago and declared that he was not willing to like, he was not going to miss the playoffs and they needed to get their shit together. And, and Brooks went on and on about, you know, Russ's leadership and all these great things, like totally on board with it. I think it's made a difference, but he just started rattling off all these Westbrook stories. He told one about how once he and Westbrook got into a screaming match for 20 minutes because Westbrook wanted to average 35 minutes a game and he was only averaging 34. So they really had it out over that and then kept talking, kept saying over and over again, I love the guy to death about Westbrook. Like, that's cute. I'm glad you like your star player or whatever, but doesn't it seem like you're trying a little too hard when you just have to do that every press conference? Like, it just, hey, Westbrook says nice things about me. This is my best chance to keep my job. Like, it, it just... I don't know. It, it rings a little insincere to me when, when you spend that much time telling us how great Russ is for the whole year. Yeah. I mean, that's what they call it. A bromance. That's, <laughs> exactly. that, that's one of those deals, man. I mean, those guys have history. Um, I'm sure they've had a lot of conversations, a lot of maybe, you know, conversations over, you know, over a nice uh, glass of something and, you know, they have a strong relationship. And, you know, you don't hear many head coaches talking about, you know, their top one, two, you know, one, a one B players like Brooks does. I mean, it's definitely different. Uh, We don't need to be convinced how great Russ is and what he brings to the table. So, I mean, if there's an underlining reason for, for the commentary, I'm definitely interested to, to hear another take on it, but I think these guys, you have to be careful with that because there's other guys on the team uh, that come in and put their blood, sweat and tears on the line as well. Uh, So you got to make sure that you're spreading the love. I mean, don't tell one guy he's the best thing since sliced bread and tell the other guy he's, you know, trash truck juice. 
So that, that just, you got, you just got to be careful with that. Um, and I think that they have a pretty good makeup. You haven't heard any real rumblings through the team, but just be, I mean, from a former player and being in those locker rooms and understanding that there's a pecking order, you just have to be careful as a coach on how you, you know, how you handle, you know, that dynamic, because it can get, I mean, it can get a little bit, bit funky with, you know, different players and under trying to understand, you know, where they fit in. Cause you got some guys that are not playing that feel that they should be playing. So I say that that's something that these guys have going on. It's not necessarily a complete negative, but I mean, I don't need to be told how great Russ is. I mean, if there's some stories that you have from history that, you know, that, relevant match up with the moment yeah. then you know less that that's all good for for everybody's content but if we're just rattling off you know how great this guy is i mean I, you know be careful I, I don't think even his biggest uh detractors would would talk about his leadership in, in any way you know I mean, like there's nobody that's like yeah russ has done a bad job raising the intensity of the team I'd much rather hear brooks spend some time talking about why his turnovers weren't bad or why the shot selection isn't you know like things that actually matter to people watching the game. No, I don't think he's coaching that guy. Right. Yeah. yeah I don't think he's coaching. That. I think he's letting him do what he knows that he can do. Yeah. And there's a difference. And mm-hmm. that's, that, that would be my take on it is when you say we're going to play faster and fast, or we just want to go like my take is and all the other comments that he trusts Russ enough that he's not doing much, mo- you know, a lot of strategy as far as to what, you know, what Russ should be doing to each game. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. And he's almost said as much, you know, he said earlier in the year, I finally convinced Russ to stop shooting so many threes. Like, okay, how hard, like as a coach, how hard do you really have to tell your best player to stop doing something if it's hurting the team? Uh, I I only bring this up and I don't mean that as a shit on Westbrook thing. So uh, Westbrook fans listening to this, like I don't need any mean DMs or anything. Like it's not a comment on Russ. It's just, Brooks just seems like he's trying a little bit too hard because you heard Alex Len do an interview this week where he talked about how Ish Smith has really been like a nice voice for them in the locker room and how he he had some stuff for them in that Boston game that that got everybody's attention. And I don't know. I'd just like to hear Scott Brooks talk a little bit more about things like that too. That's what I'm saying. That's that's what I'm saying. I think these guys are all putting it on the line. Uh, they're all coming with their brains. They're coming with their hearts. They're coming with their bodies. So just make sure that you acknowledge, you know, these guys for what they're doing. At the end of that Boston game, Jordan Schultz, who does a podcast with CJ McCollum, but also works for ESPN, tweeted, this should undoubtedly seal the deal for Scott Brooks in D.C. Facing a Jalen Brownless Celtics squad, his team had zero game plan against Jason Tatum, no doubles, no traps, hapless help. Offensively, the Wizards did nothing, nothing to confuse back end rotations. I thought that at the moment too, like, this is it. Like, this is, this is the game that does it. And then they come back and they look like the exact opposite team against Indy, you know, two nights later. And it seems like mostly all is forgiven, but you know, obviously Larry, we, we talked a lot about what to do in that Boston matchup and they did none of those things. What did you think watching that game in particular? Just what we talked about. If you don't double team, you're in trouble. And that's just really what it boils down to. I mean, that guy is, a, is an elite talent. And if you want that spot, you're going to take the basketball out of his hands. You're going to make him play basketball. He's a, you know, he's had playoff experience. Obviously, he's, he's you know, on his way up. But he hasn't seen 
a lot of the things and, and like a strategies that go along with playing in an NBA series when you're double team. So he's been for a guy that's the leader of the team, the star of the team, he's had people surrounding him that allowed him to just play basketball. Mm-hmm. And once they're gone or, you know, Kim was a little injured, sure. like you have to take it upon yourself to make it extremely tough on him. Mm-hmm. And I just think they just made it too easy for him. Um, everything that we talked about, everything that I always talked about with him is get to the free throw line. If you only see one body attack, I told him until they start double teaming you, 50 is what we expect. And, you know, from the, on the flip side of things on what we talked about, you know, it's going to be tough when you have those offensive matchups and you're not willing to make those adjustments to completely or try to eliminate or take something out uh, from that star player. It, it's going to be tough. And I think we all know that the Indiana matchup was the best matchup. I mean, they've been, you know, they've been cooking Indiana, you know, all year, probably more than that. I mean, we were cooking Indiana when I was there. So, you know, that's a matchup that I'm sure that they that they saw and they wanted if in the event that they didn't beat Boston. So maybe that has something to, to do with it. I think the the common denominator there, too, between the Boston matchup and this Philly one is Jason Tatum's an elite wing. I mean, Tobias Harris isn't quite as good, but he's a real good wing. And, and that's that's the hole for the Wizards. I think that has to reinforce what they do in the offseason, which, again, segues into the last thing I wanted to mention to you. There's been some rumor uh, floating around that the like the Wizards are going to heavily target DeMar DeRozan in the offseason. That makes no fit, like sense to me from a fit perspective. Uh, but but people seem to it resonates with them because he's a name. He's a twenty another twenty plus point per game scorer. Played mostly as a power forward in, in San Antonio, and he's not much of a floor spacer. He's not much of a defender. He's been a better passer since his time with the Spurs, but it's not really like he's known for that. It, it just seems like a another another ball stopper uh, that you're you're adding to the offense. And again, I don't think having another guy that scores twenty is necessarily what this team's missing. Do you like that addition potentially, and or am I am I missing something here? Uh, that that doesn't necessarily excite me. You know that that doesn't necessarily make me feel like that's going to make a difference with the makeup of the team. I think, again, we like we talked about before, is having access to that length of a guy that has length that can transition from the small forward to the power forward mm-hmm. uh, with also some rim protection capabilities. That's a guy that I would want to look for. Uh, and those guys are out there. I mean, these guys, how Toronto does it, I mean, it's it's amazing on, on where they, they're finding these guys and their form system and how they're developing these guys. But I look, I still look at DeMar as a two. I mean, two, you know, small forward. I think that, you know, his style of play is not how the Wizards play. And if Scott Brooks is going to be back as a coach, I don't see that, you know, how that fits into what they do and how they do. So, yeah, that, that fit doesn't necessarily excite me. And I don't see that that is – any sort of a game changer. I think that that's a great name. And I think that's a great talent, but as far as like the makeup of where these guys are now, uh, it doesn't really, you know, excite me. Just given how little money they'll have and flexibility they'll have in the off season, you probably have to do some kind of sign and trade to make that happen. So am I giving up Thomas Bryant just to try to bring in DeMar DeRozan like that? That That's a, that's a head scratcher to me. Larry, just to close us out, can you give us one guy, not, 
Beal or Westbrook that you would most like to see step up in game two if the Wizards are to pull off uh, pull off an upset there? Uh, yeah, Rui. You got to get him engaged on the offensive end so he's more active on the defensive end. You have to encourage him, you know, on the defensive end so he's willing to take those matchups. And then you have to just allow him freedom to make mistakes on the offensive end and then hold him accountable on the defensive end to get it back. I think sometimes he just struggles with just being uncertain with himself and uncertain with his game, if he should take this shot, if he should dribble. But I think he's going to have to step up. And not just this series, but I think he's going to have to step up with his his career as a wizard if they want to do and accomplish the things that they say that they want to accomplish. He is a guy that you can peg into that small forward, power forward. I think he'll have the ability, especially once he you know gets consistent with that shot to be in that small forward spot. But he's a guy that I think that he if he takes the, the steps, you know, if he takes him in this this series, obviously the team will be better. Uh, but I'm looking for him to just you know, lock in and, and get more comfortable with this game. Wholeheartedly agree. I think that's their best chance for like significant improvement improvement for next season is if he takes a, a big jump. All right, everybody, by the time we, we talk, uh, there'll be another couple games in the books here for the Wizards and they play Wednesday night in game two, still in Philadelphia. I looked, if anybody's trying to make a road trip, there are some tickets still available for that. So that might be kind of a a fun one to try to not get jumped in Philly <laughs> at an away game there. And then I want to say game three is on Friday night. No, Saturday night, excuse me, Saturday night, the 29th. So two games between now and when we next record, uh, you know, we'll just kind of see where we are. Hopefully we still have a series at that point. Uh, as always, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff and send us more questions for next week. Thanks everybody. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done